0: I was reading a story this week of a man named Tommy Lasorda who worked many years with the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. And he found a um, talent, a baseball talent, years and years ago. A ton of physical ability, but he was very weak and timid. A little bit on the skinny side. Didn't have that nasty streak that you need to be a major league pitcher. But he had all the raw talent, and he gave this guy a nickname. And he named him Bulldog. He was an ap- absolute antithesis of what a bulldog was, but he named him Bulldog and he thought maybe he'd grow into this nickname. Well, the guy did, and he's known as Bulldog for anyone that follows baseball, and his name is Oral Hirschheiser. and he was one of the most ferocious, intimidating um, pitchers you would ever meet. And he went from something that he wasn't to something that he was nicknamed to be. Now, Tommy Lasorda is not God. And he doesn't have the ability to transform people, but he could motivate people. What I want to talk about today is what your name is, what your nickname is, if you will. Did you know, not the name that your parents gave you or a friend put on you, but did you know that in Christ you have a new name? Did you know that? We're going to talk about that today as we look at Mark chapter 3, verse 7. So let's turn there, and we'll read the word of the Lord, and then we will unpack it. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. It says, And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, and Judea, and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. Who betrayed him. Now, when you read that, there's a lot going on. It can seem a little hodgepodgey. And you ask yourself, what is the Lord trying to communicate to us through this? And the reality is a whole lot more than we're going to see today. This is the Word of God, and every Word of God is communicated for a particular purpose, which will unfold by His will over an extended period of time. But what I want to look at today is one thing in there as we unpack the text. Verse 7 through 12 is really a summary of what we've seen from 1-1 up till now. So from 1-1 up till 3-6, we've seen Jesus is the Christ. He has power over the spiritual realm. He has power over the physical realm. He even has power over the law, if you will, based on how he dealt with the Sabbath. And Mark's going fast, fast, fast. It's immediately, immediately, immediately. And now it's kind of like Mark hits pause, reminds us of what took place, and we see that in 7 through 12. So you remember the Pharisees and the Herodians, the archenemies, who are common, common in their hatred for Jesus, We're going to destroy him. So what does Jesus do? He withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed. And that word great, when you look at the intended meaning, is dealing with not hundreds or thousands, but tens of thousands of people were following Jesus out to the sea. Now, what's interesting is if you look at where they came from, from Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon, you look at those words and you're like, okay, so what? Well, the so what is when you understand geographically and culturally what's taking place there. You have distant lands as far as 100 miles away these crowds are coming from. That's a long way, even if you're not driving a car. If you're driving a car, it's long. If you're walking by foot over mountainous terrain, that people would come from 100-plus miles away to see this guy Jesus, there's something going on there. But Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, those are Jewish lands. Tyre and Sidon, those are Gentile lands. And Edumea is a multicultural, multi-ethnic land, and that's not seen in a positive light in this culture. They are mixed Jew and Gentiles. They don't fit in anywhere. And they were coming by the tens of thousands to see Jesus. And do you know why they were coming to see him? Because they wanted to be saved, right? No, because they wanted to see a spectacle. They knew what Jesus was doing. They had heard of his healings, and they wanted to come and see the show and see what they might have for personal temporal benefit. So they came. Now, have you ever thought about how could this be? Like if Jesus showed up in Chester County, Pennsylvania, today as opposed to 2,000 years ago and he performed all these signs and wonders don't you think the multitudes would come to saving faith I mean if we had advertised it come join us on on Sunday November 24th right Is is that a Sunday too we're going to have a guest speaker Jesus Christ and he's going to perform signs and wonders and healings and then he's going to unpack the scriptures and people would come right and they'd hear him share the gospel and then they'd all come to saving faith wouldn't they no did you know that These people showed up by the tens of thousands, and 99.999% of them ended up going to hell. Why? How could they see this man, who was God, with their eyes see what he did, hear him speak with his mouth the words of truth and not be saved? Well, it's because Romans 3.11. It says, no one understands, no one seeks after God. There's this thing theologians call total depravity. It means you are spiritually dead apart from saving faith in Christ. So these people came as spiritually dead folks, and they couldn't respond because they stayed spiritually dead. They had so buried or covered their sin deep, deep down that they wouldn't allow the light to shine on it. And I share that with you to depress you. No, I share that with you to encourage you that our success is not found in numerical measurements. Our success is found in faithfulness to what God calls us to. So even if we ever have tens of thousands of people here, and we have speakers blaring out there, and we have people all around and packed all throughout, don't ever get big-headed. Now the Lord saves tens of thousands of people. Praise Him alone. He's done the work. But realize this. Now when we read the Gospel, what we're reading is, with the purpose of John twenty thirty one, which says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of the gospel. So as believers, when we read the gospels, we're reminded and encouraged of the reality of who Christ is. For the non-believer, Scripture is a power of God for salvation, the gospel, right? And, and faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So what we're called to do is to preach the truth, to defend the truth, to live in light of the truth, but realize our success is found in that. That's a total side note just to speak to these massive crowds. So the crowds show up. we got Jews, Gentiles, mixed breeds, tens of thousands. Jesus withdrew. He tells his disciples, get a boat ready. Why does he say get a boat ready? So it won't be crushed. Now you say, wait a minute. Why wouldn't he just back the crowd off with some sort of superpower? You know, the whole crowd gets pushed back or he just levitates himself. If he did that, they'd believe, right? No. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus functions with, with this thing called common sense that he's given to all people. He's, he's walking in the power of the Spirit, doing the will of God, not looking to impress people, but bring glory to the Father. So he calls for a boat so the crowd doesn't crush him. And it says, For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. It's a summary of what we've seen. So then we get to the next verse. Now watch this. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those to whom he desired. You want to see something neat? Flip over to John fifteen sixteen. Watch what Jesus says in John 15, 16, compared to what we just read there. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now flip back. He says here in in Mark 13, He went up on the mountain and He called to Him those whom He desired. It's It's a little living illustration of salvation. Jesus calls people to Himself that they might be saved, and He calls these people to Himself, chose who they were. They came to Him, And it says he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Then we have a list of the twelve: Simon, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. A little side note for irrelevant information that is fun to know. The name Thaddeus, do you know what it translates into in English? Mama's boy. He clearly wasn't born named Thaddeus. It was a nickname he had. Similar to uh, the sons of thunder. But there is one nickname that's really neat. It's Simon, whom he called Peter, Cephas, the rock. So he called these men to himself. And I want to look at one word in verse 14. He appointed twelve whom he also, what's that word, named. Let's talk about naming. The naming, the creation. Names in ancient cultures were extremely important because they identified who a person was or what they were like. I think we don't realize how important names are in our culture because we just kind of pick them. A kid is born, we say, I'm going to name this child Michael. Why? I like the name Michael. Whereas in ancient times, you know, you read scripture. How do these people get these names? Your name shall be Ebenezer. You know, because it means remembrance of what the Lord has done. Now, don't you want to tell people, my name is the Lord loves people. But we got, so we, but watch this. Do you ever notice how much money companies spend on marketing companies, helping them understand what to name themselves or their products? You ever think about that? Why? Because you're not going to buy something if it's just named the black cookie with the white stuff in the middle. Oh, we got to buy that. But if it's called Oreo, I don't know the gist of it, but there's something significant about Oreo, and it makes your mouth water. You want Oreo? I'm going to stop, I'm getting hungry. Names are really significant. Watch this. Who knows who Marion Michael Morrison is? You know, Marion Michael Morrison? Why? How did you know that? Could you imagine a, a rugged man on a cat, on a cow, on a horse, with a hat, just punching someone out? And he says, my name is Marion Michael Morrison. It doesn't work. But if his name is John Wayne, it works. Yeah? Well, John Wayne wasn't born John Wayne. He was born Marion Michael Morrison. But that doesn't work real well on the letterhead. How did you know this? It's amazing. Or how about Martha Kostyra? Do you know who Martha Castyra is? Wouldn't you want to welcome her into your home to spend a lot of time decorating your kitchen? Martha Castyra? But if we called her Martha Stewart, then it sounds a little different. Do you know what Martha Stewart's birth name is? It's Martha Castyra. I have a cousin grew up. She was a model. And she, her last name was Westfall. They chopped the whole end of the name off and went with West because her agent told her, Westfall ain't gonna work. West works. Names are incredibly important, because by names, we identify what people should be like. Now watch this. Laura can attest to this. I wanted to name one of our boys, Thunder Justice Trip. Isn't that awesome, Denny, right? Thunder Justice Trip. Defender of widows and orphans and hero of the land. Thunder Justice Trip. Great name. Laura didn't let it happen. But what would happen, you know, you see a picture of a large, muscle-bound, beautiful coiffed hair, maybe a cape on the weekends, I am Thunder Justice Trip here today. It sounds awesome with a British accent. But what happens if my kid, like, grew up to be five foot 72 pounds, and he was timid of when the wind blew? That doesn't work for Thunder Justice Trip. Or what if you buy a boat? People buy boats, they put names on it, right? So we bought a boat, we named it Pleasant Breezes. But what happens if that boat is just populated with angry people always yelling at each other, it sails only in bad weather, and one day it crashes in a storm and sinks? It ain't Pleasant Breezes. Now, do you know the difference between the way we name and when God names? In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, he named it was. God names in a creative way. We name in a potentially hopeful, descriptive way. If God named one of my boys Thunder Justice Trip, they would grow up to be Thunder Justice Trip. But I don't have that power. We don't have that control. And that's the difference, and that's what I want to look at today. is this whole aspect of naming, because you do notice it doesn't say... Jesus called these guys to be apostles. Jesus appointed them. It says right here, he named, named apostles. And look at who these guys are. We name in hopes of describing God names by way of defining. God's naming is creative. He names things into existence and he named them apostles. Now, if you go into a Catholic Church or most mainline denominations see stained glass with Saint Peter, Saint Thomas, Saint James, Saint. Why do I keep going to the British accent? I'm done. Sorry. The reality is, these apostles, though elevated in certain traditions, are average, ordinary screwballs. Yeah, you know, we think uh, people talk about when you go to heaven and you get to the pearly gates and you meet Saint Peter. I know it ain't going to go down like that. Just so you know. But Peter isn't up there in some sort of elevated between human and God state. You don't pray through apostles. You pray directly to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. These are messed up, average, ordinary guys who Jesus called and then he named. Peter was named the Rock. Peter didn't live like a rock. Peter lived like a lunatic. Jesus says... On this rock I will build my church there's a metaphor there's an illustration we'll get to that at some point down the road but Peter's supposed to be this stable man upon whom Christ works and there was this little servant girl sitting by a coal fire and the man freaked out three times and called curses down on himself I mean really is that what you think of as Peter Peter was so wonderfully gracious that he corrected Jesus because Jesus clearly didn't know what he was doing Told him, I'll never deny you. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. You're out of your mind. I'd never do such a thing. He lopped Malchus's ear off in the garden and then ran away. Peter was a wreck, but Jesus called him Cephas. These average, ordinary, common folk were called by Jesus and named apostles. When Jesus named Peter the rock, do you know what Peter would be? The rock. Do you know why he would be the rock? Because God named him the rock. Do you see that? God can take anything and name it and create it to be whatever he desires. He didn't say to Peter, here's what I'd like you to do. Can you try to pull this off? And if you can do it, that'll be great because it will help me out. He says, no, I'm naming you the rock. It's kind of like Thunder Justice trip. And Peter would be the rock, because that's what God named him. So he starts by naming them apostles. Apostle simply means sent one. These twelve are unique apostolically, if you will. There's uppercase A apostle and lowercase A apostle. Uppercase A apostle are these twelve. Throw in a... knock out the, the traitor, add in Paul, you got the apostles, right? Capital A Apostles. No more capital A Apostles. If you ever meet someone and they say, I'm an apostle, you say, woo! you can ask them, capital A, lowercase a, they'll probably look at you screwy. There's not a line that's handed down of apostolic tradition. These are the, one, the ones on whom the gospel was entrusted and the foundation of the church was built on that teaching. We all are, in a sense, apostles, lowercase a. It simply means sent once. So we all have an apostolic commission, if you will. But these guys are unique apostles, uppercase A. So here's a question I want to ask you. Peter was Cephas. Jesus named them apostles. He created them to be capital A apostles. What did Jesus name you? What's your name in Christ? Does anybody know? Has anybody had a Jesus come and say, damn? I will name you mighty, valiant evangelist. Dan's like, no, Jesus, I cannot do this. Yes, you can listen to the sermon Sunday. I have named you. Anyone have that? No? No. Do you know why? Because God hasn't told you yet what he has named you, but he will show you what you've been named as you walk in obedience. Let me show you this. Revelation chapter 2. Do you know about the white stone? Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to add three more verses to to drive the point home and you'll see why. It says in Revelation chapter 2 verse 13, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Do you know the name on your stone, what it will be? You'll find out one day. Ephesians 2.10, in case you were wondering where the midweek thought came from, it was in my sermon preparation. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When God saved you, He saved you for a purpose, and one of those purposes is to do the works that He's prepared for you beforehand. He's named you to do the work. Philippians 1.6 is a promise that he who began a good work will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have been named in Christ. We have been recreated in Christ to do the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. In some cultures, people find their identity in the name of their family. You can see the remnants of it in last name. You ever meet a Robertson, Jameson, Anderson, or Andrewson? That's where those names come from. In some cultures, people find their identity in their work. You ever meet a Mason, a Barber, a Baker, or a Smith? That's where those names come from. As Christians, we're to find our identity in Christ. We're called Christians. Little Christs. That's our identity. Whatever names you follow this, this is important, Whatever names you controls you. Whatever names you is what you serve. Where do you find your identity? Is it in being a Christian or being a baker? Is it in being a child of God or a child of your your earthly parent whose reputation you want to lean off of? Whatever names you controls you. Christ named Peter Cephas. Christ named these men apostles. And that is what controlled them because he named them. I'll show you an interesting side note about naming to drive this point home in Luke 19. You know the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? Let me read it to you, and then I'll explain why I'm reading it to you. Luke 16, verse 19. It's a fabulously wonderful and frightening story. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And Lazarus at his side, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, and in order that those who would pass from here to you Now you say, what does that have to do with names? Who was the poor guy? What was his name? Lazarus. Lazarus. Do you know what Lazarus means? God will help. What happened to Lazarus? God helped him. God sustained him. God redeemed him. And God brought him home. What's the rich guy's name? A you know what Dives is? It just means rich guy. His name is Rich Guy. You don't don't know his name. We don't know his name was Frank, Michael, Mark, Joe. We don't know. And this is the only parable. Parables always have either all the people named or none of the people named. So you take the parable of the prodigal. What's the name of the younger brother? You have no idea. The older brother, no idea. The dad, no idea. There's no naming. You You see a common sequence of all name or no name except here. But what you're seeing here is, look, Lazarus had a name from God. God will help. His identity was found in God. The rich man, you know where he found his identity? In his riches. He served an idol because the idol named him. He was simply known as Rich Guy. He was named by money, his idol. Lazarus was named by God. The first thing to understand is, you will have a name. The question is, who has named you? Is it the Lord Jesus by grace through faith or the idol that you serve that ends in damnation and destruction? But as a child of God, we have a specific name with a purpose. Now watch this. I see all of these people who are, you know, the adults I grew up with, friends of my parents. They've come to an age where all their kids have left home where they no longer need to work financially, and you know what? They can't retire. Do you know why? Their identity was found in their kids and their work, and if you take them both away, they have no name. I have no job. I have no kids. I have no meaning. My idols are gone. Do you see that? But if you're a Christian, if you're named by God, you raise your kids for the glory of God. You do your labor for the glory of God. And if they're all removed... You are still able to rejoice because you are named by Christ. Do you ever see athletes struggle to retire? You ever wonder, why do you have such a hard time retiring? Listen, this between us. If I made 24 million dollars for just one year, I'd probably retire, you know? I don't understand. why do these guys play another 10 years? What, do you know why? Do you know where they find their identity? Do you know what names them? You are a rich athlete. Well, do you know what happens when the body decays and you can't play anymore? You have to hang on to this idol, because if you lose it, you have no name. But if you have a name given by Christ, you can never lose it. Lazarus had a name. Dives had no name. For the Christian, we are named by Christ. Now, what's your name in Christ was a question, and the point is you don't yet know... Because God hasn't finished what he started. And part of the reason you don't know is because God is gracious. What if God named you, Renee, Mighty Warrior? She'd go all Gideon on us. No, not me. God, you don't know who I am. I can't be a Mighty Warrior. No, not me. Right? He names her Mighty Warrior. She's going to be a Mighty Warrior. The other end of the spectrum, let's say that, that Bob gets his name. You are tiny and unnoticed. Bob's like, are you kidding me? Uh, Tiny and unnoticed? I want to be mighty warrior. You know, Renee could be tiny. See, you got pride rears its ugly head. So how do you find your name in Christ? And what I mean by that is, how do you know what Christ created you to be? He named, he called, and he named these guys apostles. He named Peter Cephas. He named in the parable the guy Lazarus. Well, what has he named you? I give you a practical application to what's going on here. Do you want to know how you find your name? First, be an apostle. Little a apostle. Be a sent one. We're all called to liberate people, to free them from what binds them, to serve them through word and deed, so we might win an opportunity to proclaim a gospel. So you do that. That's the business we're to be about. Live amongst the lost. I'm giving you the basic principles God calls us to to walk in obedience to. We're called to build relationships with lost people, be in prayer for them, and look for opportunities to share the gospel. The danger with Christians is we like to insulate ourselves from the the lost. Well, God doesn't call us to insulate ourselves from the lost. He calls us to be in the world, not of the world. Well, what would happen if God called you, Ephesians 2.10, to be a mighty evangelist? but you simply never went out to evangelize anyone. You're not going to live up to the name, would you? How about number three? I'll give you a practical step as we we move into the next couple months. You can invite people to church. Why? Not for me to share the gospel with them. So they could see God's family in action. So they could hear the word of God preached. So they could hear the gospel proclaimed. And so you can walk alongside and engage them with the gospel. Perhaps you'll find your name. Perhaps you'll find Ephesians 2:10 play out in the unique ways. Dying to self, Matthew 10:39, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And look at this last part here in uh, Mark. How many apostles were there? No conviction there. He named 12 here. Do you know why he named now you say now, how's that work, Pastor? Because then they knocked off one, they replaced him, and you got Paul, and it gets very confusing, and you can come to Real Conversations if you want me to unpack how there are actually 12 apostles. Um, you have a replacement, doesn't quite fit in, to the same apostolic call, though it's close. Next month, someone wants to remember that, we'll unpack that together. But there are 12 apostles for the text and for the sermon, and here's why it matters. It's not like Jesus looked at it, the crowd and was like, one, you, yeah, the, yeah, two, Oh, yeah. You guys, and it just happened to be 12? He chose, intentionally, 12. How many tribes of Israel were there? 12. Now, in seminary, we had the assignment, awkward moment in seminary, third-year course, where the professor says, who can name the 12 tribes? And you watch a whole class of grown men and women drop their heads... Figure that out, you'll find something interesting. There are 12, but it's the same thing you'll see with the apostolic question that that I just brought up for next real conversations. There were 12 tribes of Israel that identified the nation. And what Jesus did is he came to make something new, to bring the new kingdom, the kingdom of God in its fullness to bear. So in the 12 apostles, what you see is the new kingdom establishment. It is no longer the twelve tribes of Israel. It's the twelve apostles. And when you get to Revelation, you see see a temple with a foundation and walls and pillars, and you see how they come together. But what Jesus is, is, is not indoctrinating. The word will come to me later this afternoon if you want to wait. He's beginning a new phase of the kingdom of God. Messiah has come. The Jews have walked in rebellion against God, and now He's appointing a new leadership of this communal kingdom. Now, don't miss that last point communal kingdom. God restores His people to be a communal people, and then look at these last two words in Mark 3 that I don't want you to miss. He named apostles so that they might be what? With Him. Do you see those two words? With him. Jesus called these people. Jesus calls all of his children so that we might be with him. That's why Jesus saves. That's why Jesus names. That's what we are in Christ. That's why in Luke 10, 20, when the, the 72 go out, And they come back and God's given them these abilities to do unique things, right? They come back marveling at what they did. And do you remember what Jesus says to them? He says, chill out, guys. Don't get all fired up about what you did. Here's what I want you to get fired up about. And he says in 1020, rejoice in this, not that the spirits are subject to you, but that your names are written in heaven because he delights in them being with him. Let me wrap this up right here you will know your name as you walk in obedience you will know your name as god uses you to do the good work he's prepared beforehand these guys were uniquely named capital a apostles they could not fail because they had been named we do not have our names we don't know all the good works because the difference is we now walk in a unique way from when they were called we're indwelt by the holy spirit but watch this in the old testament you know jesus is a great high priest, we're told in Scripture. It's wrapping up the name thing. In the Old Testament, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, do you know what he would wear across his breast? There was a breast piece. And in the breast piece, there were 12 precious stones. And do you know what was written on each of those precious stones? The name of one of the tribes of Israel. And the high priest would put on his garments and the breast piece, and he would walk into the Holy of Holies with the names of the twelve tribes emblazoned upon his chest on these precious stones and represent the people to God and God to the people. Jesus does not wear a breastplate like the high priest, but your name is engraven on his heart, or scripture tells us, on the palm of his hand. Now when you stop and you think about that... Jesus knows your name because he gave you a name and he represents your name to the Father, identifying you as his, a child of God. Do you see how marvelous that is? The great high priest walks in before the Father with your name written upon him and his name written upon you so that you too can approach the Father because you have a new name in Christ you have been recreated god speaks things into existence that is his naming power and when you are born anew you receive a new name child of god friend of god and you live a life whereby you see your calling and commission so one day when you meet jesus face to face You will see how well you lived up to the name that was entrusted to you that you will not know fully until you meet him face to face. But you don't live your life in fear of not living up to, because on your own you never will. You live your life in humble adoration and joy of knowing that Christ has your name secure in his hands. And he identifies you by his name before the Father. Do you see that? He called these 12 to be apostles. He named them apostles so that they might be with him. He called you to be a child of God. He named you Christian so that you might be with him. And he calls us to go out and declare that daddy is still naming children. Will you come home and receive your name? Let's pray. Father God, we just rejoice in the fact that you have given us a new name. We rejoice in the fact that we have new life in Christ. We rejoice in the fact that when we meet new people, we often forget their name. But you will never forget our name because not only do you know our name, you gave us that name. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the fact that the name that is above all names came to die so that the nameless might receive an everlasting name. Lord, we rejoice in that you have revealed to us your many names, Jehovah Jireh, El Roy, El Shaddai, and oh so many more. And Lord, we just thank you for the fact that the one with the name above all names has given us a name that is secure for eternity, not by anything we have done, but because of your love and power, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.